episode 15, Christian Self-Government in the Home. Welcome to the Principles and Practice Podcast. This is where we discuss biblical principles for life and learning. I'm your host, Heather Hall, and this is my co-host, Brian Hall. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Heather. Today we're talking about Christian self-government in the home, and I have an opening quote for us to enjoy by Noah Webster. He said, Every man should govern well his own family. Children are often ruined by a neglect of government in parents. It's really interesting that he said a neglect of government in parents and not by parents. Yes, that is that is very interesting. He just really chose his words well. He did. Because to have a neglect of government in parents is to say that parents need to have a sense of discipline in the home. Mm-hmm. And so that translates over to government in the home. It goes over to internal self-government. It does, of the parents. Mm -hmm. Parents need to be modeling self-government. Because we all know kids pick up on if it's really internal or not. This is very true. So, Brian, you have a quote from Reverend S. Phillips for us today. Uh, Yes, I do. And Reverend S. Phillips, he was around in the 1850s. He wrote a series of sermons, and they're titled... The Christian home, and as it is, in the sphere of nature and the church. In a section of it, he talks about home government. Home is a little commonwealth jointly governed by the parents. It involves law. The mutual relation of parent and child implies authority on the one hand and obedience on the other. This is the principle of all government. Home is the first form of society. As such, it must have a government. Its institution implies the prerogatives of the parent, subordination of the child. Without this, there will be no order, no harmony, no training for the state or the church. The principle of home government is love, love ruling, and obeying according to law. These are exercised, as it were, by the instinct of natural affection as taken up and refined by the Christian life and faith. This government implies reciprocity of right, the right of the parent to govern, and the right of the child to be governed. It is similar in its fundamentals to the government of the state and church. It involves the legislative, judicial, and executive functions. Its elements are law, authority, obedience, and penalties. The basis of its laws is the word of God. We may consider the whole subject under two general heads. For example, parental authority, filial obedience. I really like a lot of what Reverend Phillips had to say. Um, I really appreciate especially understanding more about America's history and the importance of the principle of Christian self-government when it comes to the founding of our nation. I really value more that the pastors back then would talk about self-government and link it to it starting in the home and the importance of it and how you can't have a nation of liberty without it. So Samuel Adams also talks about something along those lines, which is not really surprising because he lived during the founding era also and was involved with the beginning of our nation. But in Boston on October 4th in 1790, Samuel Adams said, Let divines and philosophers, statesmen and patriots, unite their endeavors to renovate the age by impressing the minds of men with the importance of educating their little boys and girls, of inculcating in the minds of youth the fear and love of the deity and universal philanthropy, and in subordination to these great principles, the love of their country, of instructing them in the art of self-government, without which they never can act a wise part in the government of societies, 
great or small, in short, of leading them in the study and practice of the exalted virtues of the Christian system. So, to keep it in context, yes, he uses the word deity, but if you look that up in Webster's 1828 Dictionary of the English Language, you'll find out that they are talking about the one true God of the Bible. And also, when he's referring to a Christian system, he is talking about our form of government. Because our framework is biblical, and our principles that our country is founded upon are biblical. Do you have anything to add to that, Brian? Do you have any thoughts that you want to share? I think they're all in agreement at that time. And when they formed the Constitution and brought about those this great government, um, they're all in the same mind. They all believed in the same God, and they all believed in its principles. Um, I have another quote for you from Abraham Lincoln, and this is uh, regarding government and schools. Uh, his quote is, The philosophy of education in one generation will become the philosophy of government in the next. And that's, uh, I think that's what we're facing today, is where we have the philosophy of education was changed for the public schools, and we're reaping that result now. And how. That's really insightful, what Abraham Lincoln had to say. It's a cycle, you know, if you Mm -hmm. take, especially if you take family out of the picture and parents don't have a say in education, then you've got the government in control of what's being taught. Mm -hmm. Those kids graduate, those children graduate from high school and then they go out to vote and they're going to typically vote in accordance to what they've been taught to think Mm -hmm. versus how to think and reason. And um, then it just cycles back through. And as the government keeps changing things in the educational system, we tend to get farther and farther away from our first principles as a nation. Mm-hmm. And, and, it goes, and it goes back to Noah's uh, definition, or actually quote, and where it says the you know neglect, neglect of the government in the parents. Mm-hmm. And so where if it's not in the parents, it's not going to come through to the children. Right, and the children have got to be with their parents, and I think that that's one of the the alarms that the government uh, teachers will sound in a lot of the government institutions. Get them away from the parents. Get them away from the parents. We want to have them for more and more hours mm-hmm. during the week. And, you know, if parents, everything goes back to the seed principle. If parents aren't following through with what Deuteronomy 6 talks about, with discipling their children and doing it throughout the day, and into the evening, then they're not there to plant those seeds of truth and God's word in their children. Mm. And so they're going to be obviously fed or, you know, the seeds of humanism planted in them. And more than likely that's going to grow and um, produce fruit, like you mentioned a little while ago, that we're going to see within our nation. And aren't we paying the price for it? Mm-hmm. So there's a way to determine if classroom government is biblical or not. And a biblical classroom, governing classroom, will have a written constitution. It'll have written rules that the students can consent to Mm -hmm. and that the teacher consents to. And those rules within that constitution are going to govern the classroom. Mm -hmm. And then all students end up being under the same law. Students consent to the government of God and accountability to God for his thoughts, words, and actions. And, of course, that pertains to the teacher or the parent as well. Mm -hmm. 
So then we, uh, if you want to look at non-biblical methods of governance, you you're looking at like uh, looking at fear and intimidation, anger. That's where like the teacher loses self-control. You got threats, punishing the group, and behavior modification. Mm-hmm. So Verna M. Hall who was the author of The Christian History of the Constitution, Volumes 1 and 2, and very dear friend to Rosalie Slater. She wrote about how this looks from family to church, voluntary associations, and civil governments. She said, Each religion has a form of government, and Christianity astonished the world by establishing self-government. With the landing of the pilgrims in 1620, Christian self-government became the foundation stone of the United States of America. So the way that Christian self-government was established, it wasn't established by individuals. It was established by Christ. So when an individual accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior, you have repentance, you have salvation, and you have Christ dwelling within an individual. Christ brings the self-government. He governs in and through individuals. And the pilgrims recognized that as well. So why did Americans establish Christian self-government as their form of civil government? And you already touched on that because they had established Christian self-government in their own lives, in their families, in their churches, and in their voluntary associations such as schools and businesses. And because they derived this very unique idea of government from the Bible. Oftentimes, people will give Greece or Rome credit for the form of government that we have. However, the principle of government, self-government, this unique idea of self-government was derived from the Bible. And in a book titled The Roots of the American Republic by E.C. Wines, he thoroughly documents the history of our nation and the biblical foundation that we have. One way or another, individuals are going to be governed. Robert Winthrop said, All societies of men must be governed in some way or other. The less they have of stringent state government, the more they must have of individual self-government. The less they rely on public law or physical force, the more they must rely on private moral restraint. Men, in a word, must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or a power without them, either by the word of God or by the strong arm of man, either by the Bible or by the bayonet. It may do for other countries and for other governments to talk about the state-supporting religion. Here, under our free institutions, it is religion which must support the state. So, going back to our last episode on self-government, we talked about the distinction between Christian self-government and Mm self-discipline. And you'll notice that Winthrop is talking about that internal government coming from God, which would be Christian self-government. It's He's not talking about your own internal strength that you're relying on for discipline or government. So your choices of government are either internal, where you have internal self-government, private moral restraint, power within, and the Word of God and the Bible. Externally, you would have the state, state government, the public law, or physical force, uh, power without, I mean, on the outside, and the strong arm of 
man and a bayonet. So I think internal sounds much better to me. <laughs> I agree. So you may want to go ahead and grab a pencil and pen and jot this down as we go along. I have a friend that oftentimes tells me, Heather, you should say that again. You should repeat that again. We only have so much time for that, but you're able to pause and play the podcast as you need to. But what you would do is draw three columns on your paper. The one on the far left, you'll label anarchy, freedom without order. The middle column, you'll label as Christianity, liberty with responsibility. And then the far right column, you'll label tyranny, order without liberty. So we'll take this column by column. For examples of anarchy, freedom without order, that we see in the Bible, you can refer to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9, Judges 2, verses, or verse 19, Galatians 1, verse 10, Jeremiah 18, verse 12. And then for examples in the Bible of Christianity, liberty with responsibility, you can visit Romans 13, 3a, Judges 5, 9, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and Acts chapter 5, verse 29. And then for examples of tyranny, order without liberty, that are seen in the Bible, you can turn to Ecclesiastes 8, 9, 1 Samuel 8, verse 17, 2 Chronicles 28, 19, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 34 through 37, and Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. As always, great to go back to the Bible for these things so that we can see that it goes that far deep in history. Um, I have uh, another quote for you again. Um, first, we're going to start with a, a Bible verse. It's Proverbs 28.2. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. But by man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. And here's another quote from uh, G.K. Chesterton. If men will not be governed by the Ten Commandments, they will be governed by the Ten Thousand Commandments. Ooh, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So, you know, that's the internal to external right there that we covered earlier. It's much more burdensome to be governed externally mm-hmm. than it is internally. Yes, it is. And so here's, and here are the, um, and here is another quote from the Virginia State Constitution. That all men are by nature equally free and independent and have certain inherent rights of which when they enter into a state of society, they cannot by any compact deprive or divest Posterity, namely the enjoyment of life and liberty, with the means of acquiring and possessing property and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. So all of this is great and interesting information, but what are some applications that each of us can walk away with? Well, we can create a class or home constitution that will govern our own classes or homes or home schools. We can train in obedience. Don't just tell me to obey, but teach me the why behind every rule. Even God does that. He'll tell us why. He'll tell us a blessing for obedience, and he'll tell us the consequences for disobeying him. So don't just give him 10,000 commandments? Right. 
really we want to help them learn how to be governed internally. Uh, give children the choice to be self-governed. If they are not, there are consequences. Let them suffer the consequences because of a lack of self-government. That's the way it is in life. You know, if you are going to choose to speed down the highway, then more than likely you're going to suffer a negative consequence from that. So don't speed down the highway. So it's better to help children to understand that if you do this, then there's going to be this because that's how it is in the world, you know, when they're out there on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, Teach self-government. Look for examples of Christian self-government or lack thereof. So these would be like life examples Mm -hmm. or even when reading through scripture or even when reading through literature studies with your children, you can just pause and have those conversations with them about, you know, how do they recognize the Christian self-government and the cause to effect from that or the lack thereof and the cause to effect for that. Well, here's a recent question that we're going to end our podcast with. Why is Christian self-government vitally important and how do I develop it in myself and my children? As always, if you're looking for additional resources or support, you can visit our website at principalacademy.com, check out our shop and our blog, and you can also find us on Facebook at Christian Homeschooling with Bible Principles, also on Instagram under Principal Academy. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Well, this is Heather Hall. And this is Brian Hall. For Christ and His Glory. <laughs> <laughs>